Stand Firm Ministries, Biblical Truth, taught by Dr. Shane Perez. But what I want to talk about today is a Christian worldview. Well, a worldview refers to a comprehensive conception of the world from a very specific standpoint. A Christian worldview, then, is a comprehensive conception of the world from a Christian standpoint. An individual's worldview is his big picture, a harmony of all his beliefs about the world. It is his way of understanding reality. One's worldview is the basis for making daily decisions and is therefore extremely important. I think we need more people that call themselves Christians to have a Christian worldview. I think a lot what happens is we call ourselves Christians, we'll say a prayer, maybe get baptized, but then we listen to the world, which most of the time is non-Christian or anti-Christian, and we pick up the beliefs and practices of the world. When in reality, a Christian should take what the Bible says, and that should shape our worldview. It's not about our opinions, what we like, what we dislike. What does the Bible say? And then we conform to what the Bible says. Because what we've seen, what is happening in our world the past few decades, if not more, is that we're living in an environment that is more anti-Christian. So we're seeing it seep into the churches, even into our own denominations. We have for sure seen it in a lot of other denominations, which is very sad. But you're seeing people that are identifying as Christians, but have views of the world from a very non-Christian, unbiblical point of view. Many people are just a Christian in name only. They identify, they say they're a Christian, they profess to be a Christian, but their beliefs, their views, their attitude is not Christian. Well, let's look through one example. What a Christian worldview looks like. We're going to look at life. So first of all, if you return to Jeremiah, we're going to look at chapter 1. We're going to look at just verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, we see that God shows up to Jeremiah and he says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb... I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I had appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So what do we see about life here? Debate in our country, I guess, has been going on for probably about half a century now. When does, when does life begin? Can we go to a very specific point? What day actually does life begin? Is it conception? Is it when a heart beats? When is it? There's some that are saying it may be even two or three years after you're born. But the Bible tells us before I formed you, before God formed Jeremiah, but also before God formed each and every one of us. The teaching of evolution is so corrupting because it just teaches everything happened by chance. 
teach kids even as soon as they're in kindergarten or even beforehand that you just hear by chance. There's no reason, there's no meaning, there's no purpose. It's just random chance. But the Bible tells us it's not chance. God formed us. God formed us. He created us and He created us very specifically for a very specific purpose. Before you were born, I set you apart. God has a purpose and a reason for every single one of us. He had a purpose and a reason for Jeremiah. But he has a purpose and reason for every one of us as well. And that's very important for you to understand. A lot of us think, well, maybe, maybe I was a mistake. Maybe I was an accident. Maybe there's no reason for me to be here. No, we may feel like that, but that is not the truth. God has formed us, He has created us, and He's given us a very specific purpose for being here. And I like it, the, uh, the last part of this verse, it said, And appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He didn't, His purpose for creating us was not so we can have a jolly, happy life. The purpose of you being here is not to have fun, is not to to enjoy pleasure. Now when we think about it, God has designed the earth and has designed us with many opportunities to enjoy pleasure. Pleasure is not bad necessarily if it's, as long as it's biblical and not sinful. God has gave us many, many things to enjoy. And that's okay, but our purpose in being here is not just to enjoy things. In fact, it says, I'm pointing to you as a prophet to the nations. He was telling Jeremiah, I have a job for you to do. I created you very specifically for a very specific reason. And now you got to go out there and you got to go work. You got to do something. There's a reason. There's a purpose. There's a meaning for your life. And it's not about you, but it's about God. Well, what does the alternative perspective look like? And this is where I think Christians, we haven't done, the churches haven't done a very good job. If there is a different viewpoint on foundational issues, then it will lead to other things. And a lot of times we look at the other things, the things are on the surface and think, well, these are wrong, these are wrong, these are wrong, but we don't understand. The reason why we have those things is because you've got to go back a little bit and the foundational issue is not biblical. So if you don't believe that God created everybody for a reason and a purpose, then you end up with this perspective. I think I, you saw this last week, but we'll just repeat it real quick. What are humans for? As far as we know, for nothing. I mean, there is, <laughs> there is no great cosmic drama, some great cosmic plan that we have a role to play in it. What are humans here for? Nothing. If God didn't create you for a very specific reason, for a very specific purpose, and you're here by chance, then your life has no meaning. Your life has no meaning, but then also, guess who else's life has no meaning? Everybody else. So then the actions of society and the actions of, well, how you view life is different, so how you also treat life will be different. So that's what it looks like, but what does it lead to? What does the alternative perspective lead to? Uh, have you ever heard of the word eugenics? 
the study or practice of attempting to improve the human gene pool by encouraging the reproduction of people considered to have desirable traits and discouraging or preventing the reproduction of people considered to have undesirable traits. Since we have discovered genetics, we know that we can, um, using science and genetics, improve the breed of animals. Cattle's the same way. You should look up and Google some pictures of, of some cows. We see a lot of our cows around here are pretty normal or regular. Uh, you should Google and see what some of the cows look like that will even go for millions of dollars. It's like, wow, how did they get so big? And it's because of genetics. We can breed animals and manipulate the breeding of animals to get what we want. Any of you have a pet dog? Do you know what kind of dog you have? A lot of us, I've got both, a lot of us will have dogs that are a Pacific breed. Uh, one of my dogs is a, um, a mix between a Chihuahua and a Dotson. Chihuahua. Do you know that you can make sure every time you breed a tweeny with another tweeny, guess what you get? A tweeny. <laughs> because their genes have been isolated. So I'm not going to get a, what we consider would be a mutt or a mix of other dogs in it. I'm not going to breed a tweeny with a tweeny and get a Great Dane or a dog that's the size of a Great Dane because the genes are not in there. So in other words, we're able to put gene pools together to get a desired outcome. That is for animals. Well, if you don't believe that God created life and we're just here by chance, by random genes getting together, then you also believe that you can do that with humans. So what do you do with all the useless mutts of society? What do you do with all the useless humans? in society. The guy we just saw in that video, remember last week we were talking about, we're going to have a class of useless people. I believe Hitler considered certain people uh, in his day useless. If they're useless, they're not created by God and they don't have meaning or purpose, what can you do with them? Anything you want to. And we look at Hitler and think, well, man, he was, he was bad and evil and that was a one-time thing. No, that's not the case. And I tried to even inform you last week. Hitler took it to an extreme, but the philosophy was there before Hitler. In fact, if you know the history of your country, there was some eugenics in America that was being practiced. The wealthiest families in the country provided millions in research funding to scientists in an attempt to prove that social problems were primarily a result of defective genetics. At the prestigious Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory in New York, Harry Laughlin, an animal breeder, directed the eugenics record office. He claimed they could predict who would inherit good or bad traits by using a mathematical formula from Mendel. They were also firm believers in Charles Darwin, who clearly applied his theory of natural selection to human society. Eugenicists saw themselves as agents of evolution, doing their duty to ensure that the fittest Americans survived. They said, 
we have to find a way to have people who are more evolved make more babies. We have to find a way to have people who are poor and who have all these diseases and all this bad genetic structure produce less. Laughlin organized exhibits in communities across the country to educate the public about eugenics. Families underwent detailed physical and mental examinations as they competed to win the prize for the best heredity. But eugenicists disagreed on what should be done with people they considered unfit. Some argued that laissez-faire economic policies might be severe enough to eliminate so-called defectives from the gene pool. Society should not coddle in any way the poor. Don't help them. Don't help them through charity. Don't help them through legislation. You see, if you help them, according to the social Darwinists, you would only enable them to reproduce more of them. Society would be better off if we instituted survival of the fittest. We would get stronger, just as species become stronger when their weakest members die off and their strongest members live on to reproduce. But it would take decades before this social Darwinian approach would be effective. So many eugenicists considered a quicker solution, one that would eventually be used by the Nazis, euthanasia. Does any of that sound biblical? It doesn't. To think that you are better than somebody else or there's other people that are better than other people. That's where we, when you get away from the Bible, when you get away from the truths of Scripture, that's why there's no debate what the Scripture says. What does it say about poor people? Does it say they're useless and worthless and you can do anything you want to them? No, it doesn't. It says take care of them. Love them. They are created in God's image as well. So when you have, you get away from the, the truths of God's word and then you get into this weird thinking where there's different classes of people where some people are useless, some people are worthless. Well, what does that kind of thinking lead to? It can lead to euthanasia and it also can lead to other things as well. Planned Parenthood, number one provider of abortions. Uh, their founder was Margaret Sanger, and this is just one of her quotes. We want to exterminate the Negro population. Exterminate. How is she going to do that? Through, through abortions. We will take them out before they even get started, before they barely have life is when we'll get started. And I want you to see a little bit more about Margaret uh, Sanger because it's not talked about a lot. I don't know, when I was growing up, I didn't know that much about Planned Parenthood. If you ask anybody today, you look it up, what is Planned Parenthood? Well, it's uh, to help with uh, reproductive services. That's how they, well, that doesn't sound bad, does it? But what is really behind it? Here's a little bit more information on uh, the founder of Planned Parenthood. As founder of the American Birth Control League, which later became Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger was no doubt a controversial figure with disturbing views on eugenics, race, and population control. While some argue she even wanted to exterminate the black race, 
Others are trying to erase that part of her past. The Mike Wallace interview. In the eyes of some, Margaret Sanger has been a heroine. In the eyes of others, she's been a destructive force. In her own words, Sanger pushed for a society that limited births to those she deemed fit to have children. I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents, that have no chance in the world to be a human being, practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just mock when they're born. In 1916, Sanger opened the country's first birth control clinic. As a member of the American Eugenics Society, she advocated improving the genetic composition of humans through controlled reproduction of different races and classes. She often wrote about the issue in the journal she founded, called the Birth Control Review. In 1919, writing, I personally believe in the sterilization of the feeble-minded, the insane, and the syphilitic. The most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the over-fertility of the mentally and physically defective. Many point to a 1923 New York Times interview as proof of Sanger's racist motives, in which she referred to people as weeds, saying, It means the release and cultivation of the better racial elements in our society and the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extirpation of defective stocks, those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. Hayden Ludwig, an investigative researcher, has extensively studied Sanger's life and writings. She talked about the need for race betterment through, through controlling these weeds, basically undesirable people. In 1939, after opening another clinic in Harlem, the birth control activist launched the Negro Project, an initiative supported by black leaders, such as civil rights activist W.E.B. Du Bois. Critics claim the program used the pretense of better health and family planning for poor blacks in the South as an attempt to limit the black race. So there's a little history of Margaret uh, Sanger, because that shouldn't surprise us. If you don't believe the Bible, if you have the view that life is here randomly by chance, that we just evolved from monkeys, from other animals, then of course it's going to lead to such things as um, Planned Parenthood and abortion. It does matter what you believe. It does matter what people around us believe. It does matter what people in our society believe. Um, there's one individual that is, I uh, just want to highlight him. I try to educate you with different people that are in our society. Uh, and I uh, highlighted the past to Margaret Sanger because of what it led to in her life. But now I'm going to uh, bring up somebody that you probably are a little bit more familiar with that is alive now that is very influential in our world right now. It's Bill Gates. Very interesting. If you look at the history of him, um, his dad was actually the head of Planned Parenthood for a while. And in fact, Bill and Melinda Gates, now I know they have a number of foundations, but one of their first ones was entitled Institution for Population Control. That was its very title. Now he is very concerned about the environment to the point where he thinks the environment is more important than people. 
And he thinks if things don't change, um, then we're all, I guess, going to die. So because of his eugenics view, he thinks part of the solution to help the environment is to reduce the population. By the way, I want to throw in there, this is a guy that has been um, behind a lot of the vaccines we've been getting lately. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, I didn't just make this stuff up. And I wanted to make sure that I could um, demonstrate the validity of everything that was said here. So I'm going to show you a little montage. It's going to go a little quick. I'll show you a little montage. First one is going to be uh, Bill Gates being interviewed, and they're talking about his dad, but I just pick it up in the middle of the conversation, and he will say, yes, my dad was the head of Planned Parenthood. And then you're going to see a little bit, he'll mention about the uh, environment. Then he will say there's a solution to the environment. He'll say, like, there's four factors, three of them, that the first one he talks about is population. Really grabbed me as, as urgent uh, was were issues related to population, uh, reproductive health. But did you come to reproductive issues as an intellectual? When I was growing up, my parents were always involved in various uh, uh, volunteer things. My dad was uh, head of Planned Parenthood. And it was very controversial uh, to be involved with that. CO2 is warming the planet. And the equation on CO2 is actually a, a very straightforward one. If you sum up the CO2 that gets emitted, that leads to a temperature increase. And that temperature increase leads to some very negative effects. This equation has four factors, a little bit of multiplication. So you've got a thing on the left, CO2, that you want to get to zero. And that's going to be based on the number of people, the services each person's using on average, the energy on average for each service, and the CO2 being put out per unit of energy. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Now uh, that's back from high school algebra, but let's, let's take a look. Uh, first we've got population. Uh, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. But this is somebody that has very um, influential tentacles in our country and around the world. It's one of the guys that's part of the World Economic Forum. But the interesting thing about him is when he first started, his company was getting popular, you would hear about him having hearings all the time in Congress about Microsoft being a monopoly. Were they going to have to break it up? Because what would happen would be his, some, as soon as a, a rival would start, um, competing against them, guess what he'd do? He'd buy them out. And you used, to hear, you used to hear about it all the time, but guess what? You don't hear about it anymore. Well, did something change? Very interesting what's going on there. But you need to be careful and you need to be concerned. In other words, I want you to be looking at the world with a sense of skepticism. I think growing up, you feel very safe in your country. You, you feel like you can trust the government. You can trust this authority. You can trust that authority. You feel very safe. Don't feel safe. Don't trust what people are telling you. You see corruption all over the place.
And it's amazing how you see, wait a minute, they lied about this, they lied about that. We're seeing it in our own country. Wow, lie after lie. And it's not little lies, little overlook. It's lie after lie, cover up, lie, change your mind, lie, cover up. You're seeing it all the time. So make sure that you're aware. Don't trust their philosophy. Trust God's word. And trust truth. When think about having a close relationship with God, I think that as Christians, not just calling yourself a Christian, but when you actually put your faith in Jesus Christ, He starts making you aware of some of these things. Now, I know we don't have access. We have access to a lot of knowledge and information, but we don't have access to unlimited knowledge or information. But there should be things where your spirit would just say, hmm, that doesn't seem quite right. We need to have a Christian worldview. What is the result of having a Christian worldview? I want to read Jeremiah in chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. This is God telling Jeremiah, Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, Whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. If you are a Christian, a person that calls themselves a Christian, and you trust God, you have a biblical worldview, you do need to put God first. Sounds simple, sounds basic. Most of us that call ourselves Christians, we do not do that. Who do we put first? Usually ourselves. Now, some of y'all have really big hearts, and some of y'all put your families even before yourselves. Uh, but we put ourselves first. We put our families first. We put our careers first. We put our opinions first. We put all these things before God. When God appeared to Jeremiah and, and he said, Hey, I got a plan for you, and this is the plan, Jeremiah just went along with it. Okay. He could have sat there and asked him 10 million questions. Uh, God, I'm, I have a feeling this isn't going to work out good for me. Uh, what's going to happen here? What's going to be the result? Uh, but no, he just went along with it because he put God first and he trusted God. That's what being a Christian is. You trust God. So when the Bible tells you something, do this. Well, I don't want to do that. Okay, it doesn't matter what I want to do. I'm going to trust God. When the Bible says don't do this, it's like, but I really want to do that. And I don't see any danger in doing it. It's not hurting anybody else. No, you trust God. Obedience is a demonstration of your trust in God. And as Christians, you can tell a lot of us don't have a Christian worldview because our trust and faith is either in ourselves or in things of the world. The experts, the professors, the teachers, even the preachers. We think they have the authority on truth instead of God. Put God first and be willing to obey completely. And to think about it, it's all about having the mindset. I feel like I repeat this all the time because I need to hear it. But maybe you do too. God's got it all under control. Doesn't matter uh, how bad things get. And according to the Bible, guess what happens? It gets really bad. Really, really bad. And it gets really bad for believers. So I trust the Bible. That is what's going to happen. But I don't have to. I can be aware of it. I can be um, in tune to what's going on. Know what's going on in our times. Warn people about what's going on. 
uh, understand what truth is and be out there and stand for what is true. Stand for truth. Stand for what is right. But at the end of the day, God's got it all under control. Jeremiah didn't ask any questions. We really don't have to ask any questions. We just have to obey. God, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll do it. It's really that simple. And once you hear what God wants you to do, then you're like, ugh, I don't know. I'm a little scared, a little nervous. That's not, my, that's not my specialty there. No, you don't have to. God tells you to do something, you just got to obey. You go do it. Whatever the consequence, whatever the outcome, God's got it all under control. The whole world, He's got it in His hand. He controls everybody. He controls Bill Gates. He controls our presidents. He controls leaders of other countries. He controls it all. We don't have to be... That doesn't mean we don't just sit there and not do anything. We go out there and you work for God. But success of God's work isn't dependent on us. It's all dependent on God. God has it all under control. And what happens there is that when you realize that, you get to live with a sense of peace. Read the Bible. Understands. Nobody pulls one over on God. Nobody surprises God. Nothing has ever happened in history that God wasn't aware of and wasn't in control of. And when you read that and you understand that and you see it over and over again, then you look at your life and the times that you live in in your world, you need to have the same thinking. I got work to do, very important work, and I need to take it serious and I need to do the best I can and go after it. But God's got it all. He knows what's going to happen to me. And it's not always blessings. It doesn't mean I'm going to have an awesome life. Read history. Read the Bible. How many times is... Uh, just think of in the disciples in the New Testament. They were followers of Jesus Christ. And they remained faithful to Jesus all the way through. And they end up... Most of them died for it. So we could end like that too. And guess what? That's, that's okay too. It's all good. God's got it all under control. And when you realize that and you understand that and you're obedient to God, you view the world through the lens of the Bible and you have a Christian worldview, then you will experience peace. Dr. Shane Perez hopes this lesson encourages you and equips you to minister to others with your walk as a Christian. We would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at StandFirmMinistries at Yahoo.com.